1: From the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson.
2: It is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm Guy Benson from New York. Broadcasting live. Thank you very much for listening. Every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern time, that's our show. And if you miss any of the show as we air live, there's a podcast for that. It is growing. It is free of charge to all of you. GuyBensonShow.com for more information or FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots of options to listen live, including through our partners at Odyssey.com or through Fox Nation or the live stream or the Fox News app. And then the podcast options that I also mentioned as well. Our website, though, just the one-stop shop is GuyBensonShow.com. That's your best option. That's your best go-to for any questions that you might have. You can also follow us on social media if you'd like, at Guy Benson Show. That's on Twitter. That's also Instagram. Same handle, both places. If you don't know me... Or you're new to the show, I'm the political editor at townhall.com, also a Fox News contributor. I was on Outnumber today, co-hosting in the noon hour Eastern time. And you can also set your DVRs or tune in over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday for the big show. I'm co-hosting the 5 p.m. hour Eastern, both of those days as well. Back here for more TV on Monday, including Gutfeld, we'll be broadcasting this show from our New York headquarters today and Monday. Here's what we have on tap and in store for you on this Friday edition. Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, is going to be here later on this hour. Then our Fox News radio colleague Jimmy Fela stopping by in the next hour. Looking forward to that. He'll be here in studio. Congresswoman Young Kim of California, a Republican out there fighting to keep her seat. We'll talk to her in our middle hour. And then Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributor, will round out our guests in the happy hour just after 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox News alert as we get rolling here. Typically, we do an update on the Dow at the start of our middle hour after the markets have closed, and we will do so again today. But right now, it's just a huge sell-off on Wall Street. The Dow is currently down more than 600 points. Now, that's off-session lows, but still not a good day for stocks. And the Dow is now dipping below, well below, 30,000 into bear market territory. So we'll keep an eye on that as we get closer and closer to the closing bell just about 51 minutes from right now. Obviously, the stock market is not the end-all, be-all of the economy, but sometimes reactions on Wall Street flow from other economic fundamentals. And when you have stagnant or slowing growth or even negative growth as we've had in the last two quarters plus persistent if not increasing inflation and then you've got the Fed intervening to try to tame inflation a little bit and that then you know brings interest rates up and buying a house gets even more expensive and you start to see ripple effects in the economy where a technical recession starts to feel even more like a recession. Everything costing more. That all adds up to a pretty bleak economic picture. And that's the picture against which the Democrats are trying to campaign for more power. Right? They came into power promising the world, including unity and just moving on from Trump and all the drama. And the results of their governance have been an absolute debacle. And not just in ways that we talk about in the media, but in ways that are hitting every single American family. And the less that you can afford all of these setbacks, the more it hurts. Right? They try to pretend that they're the party of working class people and lower class people. And then they usher in all this inflation. And some of it they can't control. Some of it they can when they were spending trillions of dollars, they told us it would have no inflationary effect. No one's worried about it. Others were warning that's not true. Conservative economists, even some liberal economists saying, yeah, we're not so sure about that. This is trillions here. They said, don't you worry. Then inflation arrived. It was painful. And they said, never fear. It's transitory. And now we're deep into this thing. 40-year highs in inflation. Gas prices might be ticking back up. Rent, everyday goods and services, up, up, up. Groceries, food, double digits. And they're just basically out there saying, be afraid of the party that's not in power. Give us more power. And I guess if you think things are going well in this country, if you think that the economy's in good shape, if you feel like you can afford your lifestyle, if you feel like the border is secure like they tell us it is, if you, feel us, if you feel like our streets, especially in our big cities, are safe and getting safer, if these are the things, if these are the delusions that you're living under, by all means, vote for the Democrats to continue their one-party rule. Allow the ruling party to maintain their grip on power. If not, if you feel like maybe those things aren't reality, that inflation is a problem, that it wasn't transitory, that spending even more and calling it deficit and reduction, uh, deficit and inflation reduction isn't going to solve the problem. If you feel like crime is bad and getting worse, if you feel like what happened to our kids in schools for a year and a half – was unacceptable when it comes to COVID. On indoctrination issues, it's even worse in some ways. If you feel like the border's a complete mess, making a mockery of our laws and our sovereignty, if those are the things that you're generally feeling, or even, let's say, two out of the three, or three out of the four, then maybe November 8th is an opportunity to make a statement. It's a referendum, not on MAGA, not on Donald Trump, not on some plan that some Republican put out somewhere, not on some comment that some loopy candidate said somewhere. It is on the job performance of the party in power led by the president of the United States, Joe Biden, all the way on down with all of his Enablers, aiders, and abettors, basically the whole party, with a tiny handful exceptions, with names that political junkies can list on one hand, that party has been on board for all of the failure. And even if they claim that they're disturbed or upset or worried about some of the things, oh, I'm not so sure, what have they actually done to stand up to the people running this place into the ground? Nothing. And when push comes to shove, they have voted for the agenda, they've voted with leadership, and that's where things stand. Now, one of the issues that I just mentioned was crime. As I said, we're doing the show today from New York City. We mentioned Chicago yesterday, where the mayor took a brief respite from attacking the governor of Texas on immigration, blaming him for the border crisis that her preferred policies have actually created. And all of her sanctuary sanctimony that's all BS she doesn't believe any of it she took a break from attacking Republican governors to instead attack the CEO of McDonald's who just observed that there's a problem in that city a big one with crime and she said that he needed to educate himself on the issue before he spouts off well I would submit that he probably has They're closing in on 500 murders already this year in Chicago. They had about 800 last year. Right now, Chicago's on pace for six times as many carjackings in that city as was the case eight years ago. Actually, you go back less than a decade and carjackings this year on pace to be up 6x
3: compared
2: to 2014. And she actually believes that the best response to crime is to tell people who notice it to shut up and educate themselves. She said, stop looking in the rearview mirror. No, the rearview mirror is not only where the problem exists. It's also through the windshield. Where, by the way, cops are about to be unable to pursue criminals in their cars with the new law coming in in Illinois starting January 1st, except under very specific circumstances. It's crazy. Be quiet, they tell us. Stop noticing, they tell us. It's racist, they tell us. Well, here in New York, here's a story today that we covered on Outnumber. This is in the New York Post. And this goes hand in glove with the type of problem that we're seeing in blue Democrat-run cities. Listen to this. A man accused of raping his teenage relative secured a sweetheart plea deal from Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg and then went on to allegedly sexually terrorize five other people in the Bronx just a month later. The post has learned. 25-year-old suspect was promised a plum 30-day jail sentence along with five years of probation after he agreed in August to plead down to a charge from the rape that he was initially charged with. This guy sexually assaulted an underage, teenage relative of his. He raped a young relative of his. And the district attorney in New York City gave him a plea deal that would involve one month of jail time. And then before he went in, basically having beat the system, he got his rape in for the low, low price of one month behind bars. And I guess he learned his lesson because he went out and raped and sexually assaulted five more people right before he was supposed to go to jail. One week before he was set to be sentenced, he went on, allegedly, a sex crime spree attacking four women and a man near a homeless shelter in the Bronx. Now, this guy obviously has all sorts of problems. I'm sure he has mental illness problems. He's also clearly a danger to society. And what we see in New York City over and over again, we have terrible bail laws, which the governor here won't touch. She won't debate her Republican opponent, Lee Zeldin. Kathy Hochul is hiding from that debate. She's playing the race card all the time. She's attacking Florida because that's what they all do. They don't want to talk about their own policies and disasters that they're presiding over. So they're attacking states where things are going much better. Not giving their Republican opponents the time of day suggesting that any criticism really is rooted in bigotry or whatever. And when you have a bail system that is a total dangerous menace in the state of New York, they're not touching it because the activists and the left-wingers don't want to touch it. You have a district attorney, not just an Alvin Bragg, but you can name him, Kim Fox in Chicago, for a long time, Chase Boudin, till he got thrown out on his rear end by the voters in San Francisco. What's his name? Krasner down in Philadelphia guy out in Los Angeles who barely survived. They couldn't get enough signatures to get the recall on the ballot in Los Angeles. All of these left-wing, progressive, effectively pro-crime prosecutors are following the same playbook. We read from an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago, George Soros, whose name must not be uttered ever, supposedly who pumps huge sums of money into our political system to try to achieve the goals that he wants, and I guess we're not supposed to talk about it? Because that's also bigotry or whatever. I don't care what his background is. I care about the policies he's pushing through the people he's getting elected through his massive waves of cash that he spends in our elections. These are his people. Bragg, Fox, Boudin, Krasner. I'm blanking on the L.A. guy's name. These are all the people and others that he has worked and spent heavily to get elected. He wrote that op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying that he was proud. He would do it all again. He will continue funding these types of candidates. George Gascon, that's his name in Los Angeles. He's proud of this. He must be smiling down from his penthouse apartment, wherever he's living, at Alvin Bragg handing a rapist a 30-day sentence and then back out on the street, After the plea agreement, back out on the street, before the official sentencing, where he then rapes and attacks and assaults five other people. And on and on it goes. And I guess the solution that we're seeing from some of these officials is basically to tell us to sit down and shut up. You got a problem with it? Go screw yourself. We're pursuing progress and justice here, if you haven't noticed. Thank you very much. That's the attitude, the arrogance. And all these people who are offered for defund the police, playing footsie with them, indulging this crazy stuff. You've got people, Fetterman in Pennsylvania, crazy on these issues. He wants to let murderers out of prison. He's bragged about it. Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, also running for the Senate, just like Fetterman. So P.A. Fetterman, Wisconsin Barnes, he wants to eliminate cash bail. He was out there attacking the police right before the riots burned down a city in his state. You've got at the very top Biden Harris pretending that they're not for defund the police, even though they were absolutely just trying to appease that element of their party back in the 2020 election. Joe Biden saying, yes, he would reduce funding and redirect funding from the police to other causes. Kamala Harris urging her supporters to fund these bail funds, send money to help get rioters and other criminals out of jail. That is what they did. And they want to now lie and pretend like they never had anything to do with that. Oh, no, we're for fund the police. We were never defund the police. Other people are gung-ho still on board for defund the police. And if we object, if you've got a problem with it, if you're a victim, oh, well. There's a bigger ideological product, uh, project at, at play and underway. And that's what they stand for. So, again, we're approaching an election. If you think things are going well... By all means, let's rubber stamp the party in power again. If not, changes can be made. And I must break. And I will. Back with more right after this on The Guy Benson Show.
1: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
2: I'm Janice Dean, Fox News
4: Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.
2: I'm Guy Benson. Speaking of crime, yesterday we talked about this awful story in North Dakota. 18-year-old kid mowed down with a car and killed over a political dispute, his killer, alleged killer, basically confessed. He said they'd been fighting about politics. He thought the kid was part of an extremist Republican group. So he chased him down and he killed him with his car. So there's a news account about this today. Quote, the driver initially told or the driver originally told police multiple times The confrontation was due to a political dispute, but so far the North Dakota Highway Patrol says there's no evidence of that. No evidence, aside from the guy telling police repeatedly that that's what happened. I guess the other person who could confirm uh, confirm the story is unavailable because he's dead. The suspect here said he did it for political reasons, and the cops are like, well, it's a mystery. What the motive? We may never know. We may never solve this riddle. It's like the FBI with the congressional baseball shooting for a while. The guy asked if they were Republicans, then shot them. They're like, well, who knows? Who knows what happened here? I also don't like my intelligence being insulted on top of all the other crime problems.
1: talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
2: Glad you're here with us on The Guy Benson Show, broadcasting from New York City today and again on Monday. GuyBensonShow.com, free podcast every day. And with us now is Brian Kemp. He is Georgia's 83rd governor, a Republican seeking re-election this November down in the Peach State. So extra attention being paid on our affiliate down there, extra 106.3 FM. And Governor, it's great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me, guy. I've been watching this race very closely now for months. I've written about it occasionally at townhall.com. We talk about it on the show. And it seemed like throughout much of the campaign, you've been ahead by low to mid single digits. In the last few weeks, it looks like you're really pulling further ahead. Mid to high single digits, one or two polls have it cracking into double digits right now. Your lead over Stacey Abrams, who lost to you four years ago, never conceded that race. I'm wondering how you're seeing it on the ground, and if you feel that movement in your direction, what you attribute it to.
0: Well, Guy, thanks for having me on. I, I feel great. You know, we have a lot of momentum, seeing a lot of energy in the ground. I would tell your listeners not to believe any of these polls. We've got to keep running like we're 10 points down. I believe the race will be a lot closer than, you know, some of these polls are showing right now. Um, but that being said, you know, we're doing great. Um, you know, obviously Stacey Abrams has made a lot of mistakes and said a lot of things that she actually believes finally, and people are realizing she's not the candidate that they thought she was in 2018, whether it's defunding the police, wanting to raise taxes. Obviously, we've talked before about her criticizing me when we reopened the economy and kept it open and pushed to get her kids back in the classroom and a lot of other things, pressuring Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game. Uh, so we've got to keep working hard. We've got to get the vote out. That's the biggest thing. You cannot underestimate the financial resources that she has and what they're doing on the ground to turn the vote out. And you're just not going to see that in any polls. So we've got to keep working hard and keep working smart and keep raising money, and that's what we're doing.
2: Yeah, she smeared the vote voting reforms as Jim Crow 2.0 was really the ringleader of all those lies leading to boycotts that hurt your state, Hurt businesses and workers in your state. We've talked about that. She called the state the worst place in the country to live, which is an interesting thing to say about the state you're running in or the state where I guess she feels like she's the incumbent because she never conceded the race that she lost last time. She also is getting some attention this week. She is desperate to make this race a lot about abortion. Uh, The problem is. She said something unscientific about fetal heartbeats in a weird conspiracy theory. She seems actually to to like those types of conspiracy theories on all sorts of political issues. but what she doesn't want to talk about if she 's going to bring up babies in the womb, their development heartbeats, which she called a manufactured sound or whatever uh, her theory is, she doesn't want to talk about her own position on that issue, governor, which is way out of step with Georgia, way out of step with most voters, which is no limitations or restrictions of any sort on abortion, even widely supported common sense ones, and just have it be unfettered, unfettered, paid by tax dollars, on demand, elective for any reason through nine months. That's her stance. And I'm not sure she wants to talk about that.
0: Well, that's true. And, you know, what she said about the, you know, fetal heartbeat and when it starts was just really shows how out to of touch with the reality that she is. But guys, she has been out of touch with reality on a lot of other things besides just flip flopping on what her position actually is uh, on the life, on the life movement. When you should have an abortion or be le- legally allowed to have an abortion or not. Uh, she's been all over the place. You know, one thing Georgians know about me is I've been consistent Uh, I campaigned on 2018 on telling people what I'd do, and I've done that since I got in office, and they know that. Even if they may disagree with something, they know that I've stood up and done what I said I would do, and I did that when it comes to our economy and a lot of other things, and the point is is that Abrams is out of touch, and so is President Biden. You know, you got a president that promised he wouldn't raise taxes on hard-working Americans, and he's now done that. She embraces those policies. She campaigned and Helped him get elected and got credit for it and auditioned to be his vice presidential candidate, so she embraces the policies that brought us forty year high inflation, the disaster that we're seeing at the border, and a lot of other things. and what my goal has been and what my focus continues to be is helping Georgians fight through all this inflation. We returned a billion dollars of taxpayer money last year. We're going to do that again if I'm reelected November the eighth. We've suspended our gas tax since March, so Fuel here is 30 cents a gallon lower every single day, helping Georgia's fight through disastrous energy policy out of Washington and the Biden administration. And we're also going to do property tax relief this year because we've just seen enormous increases in people's property tax assessments. And so our goal here in Georgia is to help people fight through disastrous policies at Washington, D.C. And, you know, my plan is to work hard and help others on the ticket here and send some more allies and troops up to Washington to reverse the trend that's going on in D.C. right now.
2: Yeah, you know, you mentioned COVID and some of the policies that Stacey Abrams would have implemented if she were governor, right? If she had actually beaten you in 2018, if her fantasy was actually real and she had won that race and she was governor of Georgia during the pandemic, I mean, you would see policies in your state affecting schools, affecting businesses, affecting livelihoods, that would be, I would say, indistinguishable from what we've seen in places like California and Illinois. 55,000 votes separated the state of Georgia from those types of policies. And it's not just that Stacey Abrams criticized you in the early days in 2020 with some of your decisions to reopen businesses and that kind of thing. She's been criticizing the removal of restrictions like mask requirements on little children In 2022, years later, even though she's happy to sit in the classroom, you know, cross-legged on the floor, big smile on her face, no mask, all the children like props around her wearing masks uh, masks for no scientific reason. So setting aside her hypocrisy, this state that you run would look very different, I think, financially, economically, in terms of the well-being of students and schools if she had won. And I just wonder if that's something that you're able to communicate, I know it's a hypothetical, but something that you can communicate to voters and sort of a very divergent vision for what Georgia ought to look like.
0: Well, believe you me, we are. And it's not hypothetical. I mean, we have her, you know, on news programs and in print and other things saying that, you know, she disagreed with my decision to reopen the economy and to keep it open. And she's very critical of that. She was critical of, us getting kids back in the classroom. She was critical that I didn't do vaccine mandates or statewide mass mandates. I mean, that's the thing. She wants to control Georgians lives. She doesn't want people to have liberty and freedom, be able to make their own decisions. And that's really the big difference, I think, in the race between myself and her is that, you know, she thinks she's smarter than all other Georgians and that she should make these decisions on whether you should go to work, whether your kids should be in school whether you need to get vaccinated or or wear a mask and I don't. I I feel like we should educate the public, trust the public, and let people decide. This is America. And I I think she would embrace the policies of California and New York and New Jersey. And she's gonna be beholden.
2: Of course she would. That's where all her donors are from.
0: Yeah. Eighty six percent of her money's coming from, you know, those states. Ten million from California over a million from George Soros, million from national unions up north. Six million from DC. She's gotten almost seven million dollars from small donors all over the country. Uh, I would tell your listeners if they want to help us fight that fight. Go to Brian Kemp twenty twenty two and help us out with the contribution, or you know, just do something to help us down here because we're trying to save the country from Stacey Abrams winning this race and then running for president.
2: Let me ask you about another issue that you and I have discussed in person down in Atlanta and over the phone when you're here on the show: crime especially in the city of Atlanta has been a huge issue. We opened the show today on crime in a number of these places. You're the governor, so you know, you're sort of this conservative red governor, but it's a blue big blue dot in Metro Atlanta and specifically downtown Atlanta. The crime was so bad, their last mayor basically didn't run for reelection because the crime had gotten so out of control. What have you been able to do within your power? to try to help this issue, even though, you know, it has to start really with the city. You're running the state. How's that going? And what is that messaging that you're offering to Georgians on the issue of crime?
0: Well, that's another big uh, contrast in this race. As you know, Stacey Abrams says she's wanted to, you know, thinks it's a good idea to defund the police and reallocate resources from them. She said that in her own words. She's also told the print interview that she thinks we ought to, have no cash bail, put it into ca- to cash bail, uh, which is what we're seeing drive crime in liberal cities all over the country. And yep. I just completely disagree with both of those things. But people here know we've been in the fight. They know that we created a gang task force at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. We've given more powers to the attorney general to go after street gangs and drug cartels. And literally just in the last 12 hours, I've gotten text from the colonel of the state patrol Our troopers have done three pit maneuvers, stopping vehicles that had stolen guns, stolen drugs. They're being shot at. They're rolling cars. But you know what? We're in the fight here trying to end that and trying to send a message on crime. And we've been pushing the city of Atlanta to do that. Thankfully, the new mayor has been more in the fight than the last mayor, but we're continuing to push them as well. I created a crime suppression unit, guys, you know. And we have been in 777 pursuits in less than about 14 months now. We've arrested 611 wanted people. 29 of them had outstanding murder warrants. We've impounded almost 1,800 vehicles now. 443 of them were stolen. We've recovered 166 stolen guns and a lot of citations that we're writing. So we're going to continue to be in the fight. Against These folks every day and we're standing with the locals to do that and continuing to press them to be more in the fight with us.
2: You know, I mentioned your polling numbers, which look pretty good. You say, you know, don't get complacent. You never know. Uh, And I think that's completely fair. The polls that show an extremely close race are on the Senate side of things. We had Herschel Walker on this show last week. He actually had a few choice words for your opponent, Stacey Abrams. And, of course, tying her to Raphael Warnock, tying both of them to President Biden You're on the ground. You understand Georgia politics very well. What's your read on that race and what does it feel like to have a guy like Herschel Walker right up there near the top of the ticket with you, which could have down ballot implications uh, all across the state, you know, in in other races as well?
0: Well, a couple of things. I mean, look, that race is very tight and it's going to be tight just like I feel like. Ours will be people around the country know, and if they they don't remember this, they're going to know uh, very soon because there's going to be a lot of talk about it. There already is, but there's potential uh, that any of these races, including mine, if we don't get over 50 percent, could go to a runoff because we have a libertarian and third party candidates in the race. And to avoid a runoff, you have to get 50 percent of the vote plus one. And so that's why it is imperative that we turn out every single vote that we can. Not only people that are going to vote for me, but they're going to vote for the rest of the ticket. And we can uh, win the governor's race and keep Stacey Abrams from being governor of Georgia and running to be your next president. And then we can also send uh, the U.S. Senate some Republican help up there and, and get one of our Senate seat back. Senate seats back, and I think we can. Because if you look, I mean, between Stacey Abrams and Senator Warnock, they have outspent uh, Herschel and I three to four to one all summer long, and they're still their numbers are basically stuck, you know, in the mid forties. And so we got to keep them there, but we got to keep building our numbers up to get over that fifty percent threshold. So I would just tell everybody out there, just keep working like you've never worked before.
2: Yeah. Well, you mentioned the potential runoff situation where you know it's a, it could end up in a runoff if you get just even just a hair below 50 percent, even if you're leading, or this could be Herschel Walker in the Senate race. And then just that word runoff, I think, is sort of traumatizing for a lot of Republicans, thinking about Georgia back to January of 2021, where Republicans led both of those Senate races and then lost both of them in the runoff because a lot of Republicans decided to stay home in the runoff scenario. Are you feeling more confident now, Governor, that some of that drama and acrimony and disagreement and unwillingness to come out to vote and cynicism about why, are you feeling like Republicans and conservative and right-leaning independent voters have moved on from that moment and are prepared to unify and really turn out in big numbers? Has Has there been movement on that concern heading into 2022, whereas it was a big problem early last year?
0: Absolutely, I have. I haven't seen this kind of energy on the ground really since when I was running for the legislature when we first elected Sonny Perdue governor here back in the early and mid-2000s. To me, it feels a lot like those days when Republicans were hungry and we were fighting for something and we we knew how close we were to getting there. Uh, but also, I think everybody's feeling that, but they're also feeling like what we could lose, what we could lose if Stacey Abrams was governor. Yeah. And we've seen that over the the last two years. And so, you know, I'm very excited about that. We're seeing that same energy on the ground. A lot of people showing up at uh, not, not only fundraising events, but just, you know, meet and greets we're doing, bus tour stops that we're doing, just incredible energy on the ground. We can't keep our we can't keep enough signs in the office. I mean they're constantly we're constantly running out because of the demand. And you know, I think the the other thing that we're seeing too is just, you know, people we're not divided. You know, I think the Democrats really thought Republicans would be divided after the primary, and what's happened is they're divided. You know, Warnock's running away from Abrams. Uh Abrams is sticking with President Biden, Warnock's trying to, you know, Not even talk about Joe Biden's agenda because he knows how bad it is. But you have Republicans in Georgia that are united. I mean, everybody on our tickets talking about 40 year high inflation, high gas prices. What's our economy going to look like? Am I going to have a job next year? And they know they're in a state where we've had policies at the state level that promote that and that we fight for people to have that opportunity. And that's the key.
2: And it, was, and it was the lack of that last year that became a problem. If that's reversed, then I think you and the whole ticket, Herschel Walker and the rest, have a very good chance on November the 8th. Governor, I'm coming down to Georgia next month for a couple days. Hope to talk to you or maybe see you then. Always appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Guy. Have a great weekend, everybody. You too. That's Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. We'll be right back.
1: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
2: It's the Guy Benson Show. This is quite a soundbite from Tim Ryan, who's running for Senate in Ohio. He's a congressman, a Democrat. And he wants to present himself as this independent, moderate, maverick type of guy. He's not beholden to either party. He just wants to be in a working class, average Tim from Ohio. That's his whole shtick to voters. Well, he was at an event. I'm sure he was raising money. And oops, he accidentally said uh, said this and cut 40.
0: Two real quick stories because Senator Schumer's here and I want to make sure he's my future boss. So I got to suck up a little bit here. <laughs>
2: uh, 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 uh. The problem is he just referred to Chuck Schumer as his future boss. He's trying to make the point that he's going to be in the Senate and Schumer would be majority leader, a Democratic leader in the Senate. But I think inadvertently he's saying exactly what the problem is with his candidacy. Tim Ryan, Mr. Independent, Mr. kind of non-bipartisan, has voted with Joe Biden 100% of the time. 100% of the time in Congress. There's no independence at all. And if Tim Ryan got elected to the U.S. Senate and he's trailing slightly in Ohio to J.D. Vance, if Tim Ryan wins that seat he will absolutely treat Chuck Schumer and not the voters of Ohio like his boss. What Chuck Schumer says, Tim Ryan will do because that's how he's operated as a member of Congress, and he will do that in the Senate as well. Chuck Schumer, Tim Ryan's boss. Don't let that happen, Ohio. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up with Jimmy Falla. Stay tuned.
1: the most powerful city in the world. Unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative. Guy Benson Show.
2: It's our middle hour of three here on the Guy Benson Show underway from New York City. Thanks very much for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is always free and on demand. Catch me this weekend on the big show Saturday and Sunday, co-hosting 5 p.m. Eastern hour on Fox News Channel, back here still in New York on Monday. So a busy time as we get closer and closer to the elections. Fox News alert as we open the hour. The Dow closing down 486 points today. That's actually less bad than it was even like an hour or two ago, but still a dreadful day on Wall Street. The Dow ending the week at 29,590. Well, with us here in studio, against my will, is Jimmy Fallon, host of Fox Across America on many of these same stations, my colleague, Fox News Radio, contractually obligated to be here, and Jimmy, it is... I was going to say good to see you, but I, I see you.
5: <laughs> Guy Venson, you really are like my radio dominatrix. Like wow. I, I come here for the poor treatment. He put a cigarette out on me during the break. There's a lot of name calling. I don't mind. I I enjoy the abuse. As a lifetime New Yorker, this is why you live in New York. Yeah, because you, you like a beating. And you pay well.
2: And there's that. <laughs> uh, so you were almost late. I just want to talk about this. Yes, it's you, worth were, discussing. you were almost late for this segment here mm-hmm. <laughs> because – you, you should have came in like almost sweating out of breath. Yeah. You you almost missed a delivery of alcohol. <laughs> That's a real thing. But the crisis has been averted. You have the booze. The cri-
5: <laughs> so last night when I was wrapping it up on Kennedy, I started um, bemoaning the Midtown liquor prices. And she's like, oh, you got to use this, some app. I'm not giving anybody free advertising. <laughs> no, they, you know what? No, they I've can used be, it. thank you. Okay. Yeah. She's so, like, oh, you got to use this app. And I did use the app. Uh, I had put in a window that would have brought the booze to its rightful place by 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. Very responsible of
2: you because Uh, you had a hit at 405, 4.05,
5: so I'm giving myself some clearance. But apparently the delivery guy was in the central time zone. And got here like a half hour later. Uh, so I had to make some good moves, GB. But I, I made it. I was quick. When did he arrive? He really did get here at 3.59. 3.59. We go live at four at 4.06 right now. Yeah. So I had a seven-minute Were you minute waiting window. for him? Oh, no. The, I was upstairs. I had just given up on it. I just thought it would come after the hit. And, and then it, at 3.59, it, I, got a, I got a call from a delivery service that was like, hey, we're in the lobby. And I was like, all right, I'm on the air. But then I went for it.
2: But you said he was somehow on the floor. Yes, right. He got upstairs, which is not supposed let, to happen. They let
5: him up. He showed up. He was like, "I got yeah." He's like, "I got a delivery for Jimmy." Like, uh, Mr. Phelan needs his booze. <laughs> You're like, "Oh, right this way, right this way, sir." I, I w- just want to be clear: this alcohol is a gift to uh-huh. myself. To myself, it's a <laughs> okay. it's a to me from me. Uh, uh-huh. But the we point is, those. no, it's here. And uh, I'm but I am amazed. What is it? What did you order? So I only drank. This is a weird thing. But I drink Michter's whiskey. Not a promo. I just happen to like Michter's Unblended American. It's world-class.
2: You, you have, in fact, uh, helped me indulge in that yes. particular product Thank in you. the past. Mm-hmm. At some of the uh, the old Kennedy... Yeah, yeah. I'm, the tipples. <laughs> the post-game tipples. Yeah, yeah. The board meetings. Yes, you know and what I mean. that's what I meant. <laughs> Extremely serious businesses discussed and completed. Hard work by all of us. Mm-hmm. Not sponsored by, but unofficially, yeah, this, yeah. this particular... Have, so that's all you drink? Uh I usually yes especially because right now the wardrobe department is tired
5: of sewing bigger sport coats for me so that you you tend to go with the you know the lean the lean liquors. okay cuz minimize I the had, sugar intake
2: I was just in Wisconsin mm-hmm. earlier this week and first of all just with all love for our friends and listeners in Wisconsin holy hell do they drink <laughs> Oh my word I I got in way over my head it was Monday oh I had a speech God. on Monday and then all of a sudden it's like Tuesday morning at Three in the morning, I'm still awake yeah, yeah. at a campfire with these people, and they they just been pounding for hours. I'm like, "How are you all alive?" <laughs> I felt like a complete amateur in their midst. But the next day, I was like, "That's it. I'm not. I'm not partaking. If anything, I'll have there's a beer that you can only get in Wisconsin called Spotted Cow. It's delicious. Yeah. I said maybe I'll have a Spotted Cow. But dinner ended, and someone sort of like waved me over surreptitiously. He goes. Do you drink bourbon? I'm like, yes, but not tonight. He goes, we have Blanton's. I said, where is it? I'll be there. <laughs> because that is good stuff. If you had Blanton's? It's magical. Oh, it's so it good. Is, I can't really afford it or find it, but it's really good. It's big dough.
5: Um, but I've I've gotten back to a place where I'm drinking it out of a glass instead of a funnel, which we consider to be progress.
2: And fail progress, a house. So yes. here we are.
5: We cleaned good. it up. You made a new man out of me, Guy Benson.
2: Uh, congratulations to all of us involved. I, I would like to read... <laughs> For you, maybe a dramatic reading here. This was a transcript from President Biden last night at a Democratic fundraiser. We don't have the sound, only a transcript of what Mm -hmm. he said. Mm -hmm. And he was really going to make it clear that the Republicans in Congress, he doesn't like them. Mm -hmm. And this plan that they're rolling out, he doesn't like it. And here's how he so eloquently described his issues that he has with the Republican agenda. Quote. Mm. And so, folks, you know, and McCarthy is going to put out his position. He said the first thing they're going to do is get rid of my... Legis- my legislation, well, the law, the law that I just signed on dealing with the, you know, uh, the Inflation Act, you know, and that means they're going to raise the cost of the thing. They're going to raise. Yeah, I won't go through the whole thing. I, I won't. I won't bore you with that. You've got to. You'll, you'll figure it out. It's a very different. It's a very different view. End quote and. I can only say, well said, Mr. President. I mean, <laughs> I'm mean, i almost convinced.
5: I'm still waiting for my Rosetta Stone tapes to come in the mail and teach me how to speak Biden. <laughs> but I get what you're getting at. It is, it's is—it's really fascinating that he really is the only person you know who quits talking in the middle of a sentence because he's done. its He's just done talking.
2: Well, he, uh, he you know. gives
5: up on the thought because it's gone. I, it's what right we say. He's sending in the pun team on second down. <laughs> right, he's like, I'm like, Uh-oh. you could complete the sentence if you wanted to.
2: He makes it seem like... If he finished the sentence, it would be just too offensive. Yeah. So he's making a choice. Well, you, like, know. you know. Well, never mind. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> just like, look it so out you, for like, you. You just called us like segregationists four <laughs> minutes ago. Whatever you're about to say is going to be fine. I'm just not sure Yo, you
5: are fully in command of what it was going to be. Nobody has more steps on their Fitbit than the person in charge of walking back his speeches. That person at the White House is exhausted. Everything he's oh, all right so no no Taiwan policy change. You know, every everything like that. But it's fascinating to watch it play out, man, and I think what gets conflated for real, is that Republicans, conservatives are making this point as some type of political slander when, in fact, the most of the people raising the point have just seen it in a relative and it's inescapable if you've seen it on another person. He opens his mouth. Uh, we usually open our mouth because we have something to say. He sometimes will open his mouth in search of that something and then it gets away, as you just said, and he just doesn't have the end of the thought. It's really bizarre to watch and in
2: you know, a roundabout way, kind of sad guy, Benson. I don't no, mean that, You know. That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. And I... It's not like my opposition to the guy is because of this stuff. It's because his ideas are terrible.
5: Great point. If he was 22, he would be polling about a point higher.
2: Right. It's the same stuff. It's It's the same same failing stuff. It also just doesn't help with this sort of adding to the whole atmospherics where it just seems like an extra level of cluelessness. (laughs) Now, I wanted to get to this other – I mean this – I wanted to sandwich a little politics in here with you. Love it. We do so much politics here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was another topic that I wanted to ask you about because it is a trend that is growing and I would guess that you have some thoughts on it. Have you seen the Venmo the bride bachelorette party trend where and I have fallen victim to this or I'm just a generous person, but I'll be like, you know, driving on a highway and there'll be a bachelorette party going to wherever Atlantic uh-huh. City and you'll see written like, we're, "She's getting married." Venmo us here and buy us a drink, and I'll be like, ah, sure, and I'll send them like ten <laughs> bucks. They get all excited. Apparently, this is now a very big thing where they are asking strangers to foot the bill for the bachelorette party. Are you pro? Are you con? Are you jealous? Qu- well, quick question. Have you gotten the gold bars from the
5: Nigerian prince yet, or are you still waiting? It's <laughs> <laughs> fascinating levels of
2: gullibility. Well, no, 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 but am, hang on, hang on. Uh, I have done... Uh, I actually did due diligence. Okay. Oh, you did. Before I sent $10 away, I sped up (laughs) to pull parallel with the car to look at who was in the car next to me Uh and get a sense, does this look like a bachelorette party Uh or not? Yep. And in fact, these these were clearly young ladies going to a bachelorette party, and so the $10 was spent. Well, I am against this for one simple reason.
5: As a licensed practicing comedian here in America, uh, bachelorette parties for us – are the worst thing that can possibly happen to us. Why? Because they disrupt the show. They show up. It's like a table of 12 chicks. They have all kinds of genitalia, paraphernalia on, penis straws, penis, everything in between, and they don't shut up. So if you have a bachelorette party like table five, the 8 o'clock show is you talking to the bachelorette party, and at some point they're fighting, throwing up, and getting dragged out of the show. Like, for real, if you were to poll comics... A uh, hundred comics on what's the worst thing that can happen to your comedy show. Like 94 of them will say bachelorette party. Is it just because there's
2: too many of them for you to sort of mock? Because one heckler you can destroy. No, no. You, it's actually,
5: I want to say this guy. It's actually, no, the numbers there help you because you're not decimating one person. You're, just, you're not calling them individual dirtbags. You're just saying they're bad at being a group. But Bachelorette parties it's less mean Yeah, ba- exactly. It kind of buffers it. But bachelorette parties want, you know, they're out to get rowdy, and that's why they shouldn't be at a comedy club, you know? And that's the mistake a lot of them make, is they go to the comedy club but act like they're at the strip club they wanted to go to, and then they just destroy the shells. Well Pro generosity, anti generosity towards bachelorette parties.
2: Because of this very specific all, reason, all, all, of is, my genera-
5: all of my generosity goes to cab drivers, really quick. That's well, it. Go ahead. Sorry
2: this show, our happy hour, sponsored by the Finnish long drink. Jimmy's show is sponsored sort of by that whiskey and apparently (laughs) penis straws. Two words that we have never said together on this broadcast. Christine's looking at me like, what are you doing? We're allowed to say that word. The liberals are like, as long as they're paper. (laughs) Jimmy Fela on the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Let's open up the hypocrisy files here for a moment. I'd like to start with a man named Mark Benioff, who is the CEO of Salesforce. And he was giving an interview on CNN in which he was doing what some of these woke, performative political CEOs and executives have been doing now for a while, which is to either threaten to or actually pull out of or in some way try to punish states in the United States for political beliefs or the political leadership of those states. So here he was explaining his philosophy and saying, well, gosh, maybe Salesforce needs to pull out of fill in the blank. Cut 41.
1: If you're going to discriminate against our employees, we're not going to be able to set up shop there. And when we said that 200 other companies the next day, the largest companies in the United States all said, we agree. We have to support our LGBTQ communities as well. Look, we have to be for equality. We have to be for dignity. We have to be for the equality and dignity of every human being. And if you're not for equality and dignity, then, you know, this is not something that I can work with. And we're going to have to exit your city or your state, just as we have in many places.
2: Yeah, so let's be for equality. Let's be for dignity. I'm in favor of both of those things. I'm also in favor of supporting the LGBTQ community because I'm in it. I also think this goes – what he's talking about actually goes way beyond equality or dignity. It goes to a much broader political agenda, and it sometimes bleeds over into other issues like abortion, like we saw also with the voting rights reforms in Georgia, for example, the lies told about that. This is woke corporatism trying to use their economic might to influence politics and to be punitive – toward elected officials who don't do what they want them to do and align with their political beliefs. And I know there's some controversies when Republicans fight back, like Ron DeSantis doing what he did with Disney. And I did, on principle, have some issues with what DeSantis did. But I understand he's basically fighting fire with fire and saying, if you're going to try to bully us, then two can play at that game. Now, the reason that I played this from Mr. Benioff, if I'm saying his name correctly, CEO of Salesforce, is he is targeting specific cities and states in America, saying, if you don't adhere to our political values, and I would say it goes well beyond just conceptions of equality and dignity, if you don't go along with the left-wing ESG, DEI diversity programs as broadly defined... We're going to have to exit your city or exit your state, just as we have in many places. And you can imagine the types of places that he has in mind. Flexing his muscles. Look how good we are. Look how progressive we are. Look how we're fighting for justice or what have you. I would like to juxtapose what he just said with this headline from 2019 in Reuters. Salesforce expands footprint in China with Alibaba partnership which is their version basically of Amazon. So he wants to virtue signal to a domestic crowd of lefties that he is willing to get tough and act tough with Republican governors in conservative places because he's all about equality and dignity. And yet this is the company that expanded its footprint recently into communist China, which is crushing democracy in Hong Kong which persecutes minorities, which is actively engaged in a genocide against people of color, once again, I have no interest in lectures and preening on human dignity and human rights or whatever the euphemisms and bromides might be from people who then jump into bed with China to make a lot of money. There is no principle there. It's all about dollar signs and signaling, and that's it. So we see you, Salesforce, just like we see some of these other companies. One more note in the hypocrisy files. This related to John Fetterman, the Democrat running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Byron York highlighting some stories about how Fetterman has a long history of not paying taxes. He's had dozens of liens filed against him. We know that a lot of his income through his adult life, well into his 40s, has come from his parents. He's just this mooching deadbeat who gets money, tens of thousands of dollars a year from his parents. Now he's running for Senate in Pennsylvania. He wants to raise people's taxes when he himself has a long history of not paying his taxes. He owed tens of thousands of dollars. He claims to be this big supporter of public schools. Right. To the exclusion of school choice and private schools. He's a big public school teachers union guy. And yet his school district had to sue him for unpaid tax bills to help support the local public school system where he lived because he was ducking and dodging those taxes. Just like he's ducking and dodging debates against Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. He probably doesn't want to talk about this stuff. Oh, in case you're curious. Unsurprisingly, John Fetterman, total union hack, completely in the pocket of the teachers' union. He is obviously against school choice. He does not want underprivileged people to have the opportunity to send their kids to anywhere other than the government monopoly schools. So he is against school choice. But guess what his own children do? That's right. They attend expensive private schools. Presumably paid for by the grandparents, because this guy hasn't really worked a day in his life, even though he poses as this sort of populist working man. It's just minus the work. That's the difference. So he supports public schools and wants that monopoly to be continued, but he has avoided paying taxes to finance that system. And when it comes to school choice, he wants to make sure that other people who don't have parents who can just send them tens of thousands of dollars every year, that those families don't have the opportunity to do exactly what he's doing, send his kids to an expensive private school. That is John Fetterman. What an option for Pennsylvanians in the Senate race, a very important one this cycle. We got a break. We'll take it. When we come back, Congresswoman Young Kim Republican of California. She is here after this.
1: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
2: Midway through the Friday edition of the Guy Benson Show from New York City. Thank you very much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our free podcast available every day. Joining us now is Congresswoman Young Kim, a Republican from California, the 39th District out there. And Congresswoman, it's great to have you back on the show.
3: Thank you for having me, Guy. Good to be with you.
2: I would like to start by asking you about what we are seeing in Iran. These protests from women in the streets removing and even burning their hijabs, their head coverings, standing up to the regime in a way that I think is obviously very brave. There has been violence carried out against some of these protesters. We've seen some murders committed by the regime. As you watch this, what are your thoughts and what do you think the United States government ought to be doing about this?
3: First of all, I want to tell the people of Iran, please know that America stands with you. I stand with you as you peacefully protest for your freedoms. They are protesting uh, the recent death of Masa Amini, who is a 22 year old young woman in Iran. She died hours after Iran's morale, you know, the police in Tehran detained her for walking without a hijab. This clearly underscores the struggles that the Iranian people every day. The Iranian regime continues to violently crack down on its people's right to free expression and dissent. We also know Iranian regime, Iranian, President Raisi is a monster, is a thug in my view. They have no place in the United States soil. They support terrorism. They are state-sponsored terrorism, and they support terrorist organizations like Hamas, uh, Hezbollah. We know all this. And so the cruel Iranian regime is showing their hands time and time again. We know they will do whatever it takes to gain nuclear power at the expense of their own people. They're cracking down on its people's right to free expression and dissent. That's what we're seeing. That's what we That's why we need to stand with the Iranian people but speak out against the cruel Iranian regime and its president, Raisi. That's why I let the letter to make sure that he doesn't have an opportunity to put his feet on our American soil.
2: You know, Congresswoman, there's a lot of bipartisan outcry over this, I think rightly so. One thing that I will notice, though, members, for example, of the squad – and they present themselves as women's rights advocates and they talk about justice all the time, they seem strangely quiet on issues like this. And I wonder why that might be and why they seem to select certain areas for outrage and then their very boisterous outspokenness goes away when there are other people committing, I would say, genuine atrocities.
3: This is an atrocity that has been committed. It's a human rights violation that is com- uh, committed against all people, but especially turning a blind eye to what's happening against this young uh, you know, 22-year-old woman and, in general, women and girls in Iran that's what's happening this should the image alone should be enough to bring their anger and speak out against this yes I'm flabbergasted by the silence that we're seeing from our friends on the left Um, I'm speaking out that's why I want people to know that it's not um, you know there may be some you know people that uh, is remaining silent and quiet that in general, America stands with the people in Iran who are peacefully protesting for their rights, showing their anger, showing for their freedom, showing for their independence, showing the right i mean how can how can how can the police detain a young woman for walking without a hijab and torturing her this This should be enough to bring anger in anybody and speak out i i want to see more of my colleagues on the left uh taking an uh, active role in this speaking out against what's happening what we're seeing and you know don't don't be a double standard here and be uh cherry picking where they want to uh you know pretend that they're for the woman and women's rights and then when something like this is clearly happening uh as their uh You know, regime, uh, the monster is in the United States continuing to use this as a platform to, uh, you know, further promote their propaganda.
2: Meanwhile, Congresswoman, I want to ask you about some issues here at home, including immigration. The governor of your state, Gavin Newsom, has been highly critical of some Republican governors who have been sending really a handful, relatively speaking, of illegal immigrants to various jurisdictions around the country that call themselves sanctuary states, sanctuary cities, sanctuary areas. Your state is a sanctuary state, and yet... Gavin Newsom is attacking Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and Doug Ducey for sending some of these migrants to places that you would think would welcome them with open arms because they support sanctuary policies. They effectively support the border crisis, but they're just, you know, lashing out. Newsom's lashing out. What do you make of this whole blow up? And when you talk to voters in your district about the immigration issue and the border crisis, what are you hearing from them?
3: They're angry like you and I are, if this is like 16 or 17 months in a row where we're seeing more than 150,000 migrants crossing the border illegally, now the other governors are sending those uh, illegal migrants to the states that are so-called the sanctuary state. I wonder if Newsom would have the same reaction if they are bused in or airlifted in to our state. Our state is already dealing with so many problems, crisis after crisis. And uh, we have the southern border, uh, you know, uh, with the uh, San Diego-Mexico side, where I went down, I saw the crisis at hand. There is a humanitarian crisis. There is a security, national security crisis. We need to deal with this with the common sense solution, which this Biden administration doesn't seem to have. That's why after I visited the the border, I came up with the comprehensive southern border strategy to deal with, our mile-by-mile strategy, but it also talks about how we need to provide more resources for our Border Patrol agents so they can really go and do the job instead of being a caretaker, taking care of those migrants who are coming over, and then immediately their hands are tied. We need to address this. This is something that I know this administration keeps ignoring. Uh, We are now a sanctuary state with just as many uh, you know, individuals that are trying to come to uh, California because of the beautiful uh, weather that we have, and they're getting the wrong message that they come over here and we'll be taken care of. Yep. This is a wrong message that uh, it is being sent out.
2: It's also interesting that Gavin Newsom would accuse Ron DeSantis of being a kidnapper and a human trafficker. When he was the mayor of San Francisco, Newsom implemented and came up with a program that gave homeless people a one-way ticket out of San Francisco, don't come back. I mean, that's his own version of human trafficking. He was fine with that. It's obviously a game of politics being played by him. It's it's not terribly subtle. And And the Republicans are playing politics, too. They're illustrating a point, I think. And the response from the Democrats has just been incoherent and rageful, even though they don't really have good answers on the substance because the substance comes down to failed policies from the Biden administration that they are all tacitly or directly supporting. Congresswoman Young Kim is our guest. Another issue that comes to mind when I think about Southern California, well, really much of California, but there have been recall efforts with district attorneys, one successful, one didn't get enough signatures down in L.A., but the crime problem is a real threat to public safety in Southern California. It seems like the so-called progressive solutions to the problem are demonstrably failing. And yet we're seeing very little pivot from the people who have been responsible for those failures. What are you seeing in your neck of the woods on crime and the public response to it?
3: Oh gosh, I'm so glad you mentioned that the, uh, organized retail crime is on the rise, and this is something that I'm seeing regularly as I travel throughout my district. Just in the, uh, from summertime and on, from like April, June, July, and August, and most recently just last week, there have been uh, jury stores, T-Mobile stores, stores after stores that are being targets of uh, smash and grab crimes. Uh, so this is on the rise. I. See this and the the small businesses that I just had a roundtable discussion with the businesses through uh, my ranking member on the small business committee, and this was the focus of that. People are worried. Why should they be worried about uh, keeping their doors open and also not only worrying about themselves and their employees, but the customers that come in and walk into their stores because you never know if they're going to be another target of the smash and grab crime. So to do that, unlike my, uh, you know, friends on the left that do not, doesn't seem to have a solution. I actually have a legislation. It's called the uh, Federal Investigations of Organized Retail Crimes. And I am getting, uh, you know, more co-sponsors added on to this legislation. And we need to have a better coordination and information sharing when something like this smash and grab crimes are occurring every communities throughout Southern California. We, the lo- local state and county and uh, federal law enforcement agencies should be able to share information and have a better coordination so this is a truly uh, an issue that is i'm i'm hearing all the time among other things inflation and right. all that you know about the um, the california sending out those uh, uh the checks right our governor is doing that too these are something that really is it's just undeliverable
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunately more and more believable, given the state of your state. You mentioned inflation. I would imagine that's probably the number one issue that you hear about when you're at home, on the ground, in the district. House Republicans rolling out just today this plan, a commitment to America. Kevin McCarthy, who hopes to be speaker, spearheading that effort. If you could just comment on what you're seeing, what people are feeling on inflation, and then what you make of this plan that House Republicans are going to run on in these final weeks heading into November.
3: Well, I'm so glad that our commitment to America has rolled out finally. This is something that people are asking. We know Republicans are on the verge of taking back the House. If so, do you have a plan? How are you going to help us recover our economy? How are you going to help us tackle this inflation, the crimes, the border crisis, all of these things that we're seeing? So as American people are facing record number of crises and the policies we're seeing from one-party rule in Washington are making these problems worse, we are sending a message that we have a plan. We have a commitment to America to get our country back on track. That's why we're hopeful that our Republicans not only take back the House, And when we do, we're going to get right down to work and pass practical solutions to the problems facing Americans and lead from position of strength. So we're going to address those border crisis, inflation, crime, housing crisis, the rising gas prices. We're going to make America energy independent. And that's what I'm hearing from the people that have heard about the rollout of our commitment to America. I just want to mention that the fact that our Sacramento leaders are sending out the checks which is going right before the elections tells you everything about their intention the $200 that they are trying to send out to every Californian is just a band-aid gimmick that will not make up for the higher cost we the Californians are paying everywhere from the grocery store to the gas pump yep so People know this inflation is gonna remain at the highest levels in 40 years, but all we're seeing from Biden administration is more spending, more tax hikes, I tell you, throwing more money at a problem is not a solution. Well, in fact, it's a common sense solution. It's
2: inflationary. And I was just out in Southern California last week, and I gasped at the gas prices. It was you know, $5, $6 a gallon in some places when I was driving around. Very quickly, relatedly, your race, how's it going? I you know the Democrats are really targeting you. How are you feeling about your race?
3: Yes. I. While I feel really good about a chance of winning the seat, I want people to know that I'm on Nancy's List Nancy's list of turning some of the districts in California, especially the four including mine, that flipped seats in 2020. She she has the four of us uh, on her list to flip back to the Democratic seats. We're not going to let that happen. We feel really good about it. People know about the more we talk about this inflation. Even though you mentioned the gas prices at 5.45, 5.55, it's still the highest in the nation. And so don't don't be fooled by what President Biden said. Just recently on uh, recent uh, 60 Minutes TV, I was just appalled when he said, well, let's put it, uh, re- you know, it, it's all relative. The inflation has gone up just by 0.5 percent and it's only at 8.3 percent. Come on. This is the highest in over 40 years. And we're working on a solution like Mike Garcia and I. We're working on Inflation Prevention Act to ensure that Congress doesn't pass any more spending bill that will add to or stoking more inflation unless uh, interest rates or inflation rate drops below 4.5 percent. That's the gist of the solution that we're presenting, and this is what we are doing, bringing common sense solutions.
2: Well, that sounds a lot more like inflation reduction than the Democrats' version of it, which was yet more spending. Congresswoman Young Kim, Republican of California 39, always appreciated, Congresswoman. Talk again soon.
3: Thank you very much for having
2: me. And the Guy Benson Show is back right after this.
1: Fresh Conservative Talk, Guy Benson Show.
2: Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. We were just talking to Congresswoman Young Kim out there in California. Well, here's a story from California that is both outrageous and unsurprising. Headline, state delays public release of English, math, and science test score results to later this year. This is from EdSource.org. In a significant departure, the California Department of Education is withholding the release of the results of the Smarter Balanced tests that students took last spring until an undetermined date later this year. The result will be a months-long delay before the public can view results in English language arts, math, and science for the state district schools and charter schools. The denial of EdSource's request to release test score data comes at a time when educators are concerned about the pandemic's impact on reading and math progress, and we've seen some of those results nationally. The state has not said when it plans to release the updated dashboard, but it is likely withholding the scores now to be simultaneously released with other data, such as absentee rates, suspension rates, and rates of chronic absenteeism. Well, let me make a point that I think is not terribly subtle. The state of California knows that the results are bad and they do not want to release them before the election because this could impact the Democrats, the stranglehold that they have on that state that the teachers unions have bought and paid for. This might anger the public, it might anger some parents, it might concern people about a very potent issue. They don't want that, so they are going to deliberately withhold and delay information until after voters go to the polls to then see how disastrous and harmful the outcomes of their policies have been in that state. That's what this is about. I guarantee you that. And we'll get them eventually, and they'll say, oh, well, this is unacceptable, all the hemming and hawing when the moment for accountability has passed. This is a political game from a political place run by one party that is failing people. Don't be fooled. Assume the worst because it's probably true. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show is coming up next. Charlie Hurt is here. Stay with us.
1: It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit longdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson.
2: It is the Happy Hour on a Friday from New York City. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you so much for listening. Every weekday 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time, 5 to 6 Eastern is the happy hour sponsored by the Finish Long Drink. Delicious, refreshing. Check it out. Thelongdrink.com. 21 plus only. Always drink responsibly. They're expanding all across the country. Thelongdrink.com. Our website is guybensonshow.com at Guy Benson show Twitter and Instagram. Podcast is free on demand every day including Bonus Benson on the weekends. Catch me Saturday and Sunday on The Big Show. I'll be co-hosting on Fox News channel. That's at 5 p.m. Eastern over the weekend. Hope to see you there or you can set your DVRs. Joining us now is Charlie Hurt, opinion editor at The Washington Times and a Fox News contributor. Charlie, as always, great to have you back.
6: Great to be with you guys.
2: Let me start with this big picture. How are you feeling about November.
6: Um, I think uh, I think Republicans are in uh, very good shape. Um, I think that obviously, you know, um, uh, you have a lot, you know, a lot of Democrats in the media are focusing on some of these some of this polling that suggests that sort of generic numbers are uh, not as good for Republicans as they should be. Um, I think that uh, you know, in this kind of environment where you have uh so there's so much uh very real that is bad in people's lives whether it's the economy or whether it's crime or whether it's some of the stuff that they see on the uh, uh, on the on the tv every night about the about uh about the border um these are all issues that sort of uh in particular the first to the crime and the and the economy that, that really affect people in a personal way so that so it, it's sort of not surprising to me if people aren't Exactly dialed into the election right now Because kind of in a weird way The worse those things are The more irrelevant politics seems to them uh, You know, farther out But I suspect that over the next couple of weeks We're going to start seeing people get Very engaged in this stuff And it's not going to That's why you always see people break For the opponents late in, in elections and then, and then, you know, stepping back You know, if Trafalgar had a poll out uh, oh, what, a, About a week ago showing Patty Murray ahead by I think it was four points. Uh, correct me if you remember that one. Yeah, uh, it was I roughly it was like three,
2: 3 to 5 points out there in Washington state.
6: Yeah, and and if that's if that's an accurate read, I uh, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know how Democrats see good news in any of that because if she is in play, if that if that seat is in play, then quite frankly a lot of these other races are not in play. <laughs> Um, I think they're going to be decided. And I do think it's sort of interesting. Obviously, these are not Senate races, but, you you know, the race in uh, Texas with Greg Greg Abbott and Brian Camp in Georgia, you know, we were sort of guaranteed, you know, three or four months ago that these were going to be, you know, these are going to be the next mountains that Democrats are going to conquer. And um, that does not seem to be the case. The only reason we're talking about Stacey Abrams right now is because of her, um, uh, let's say, anti-science. Uh, comment uh, that she made earlier this week.
2: Yep, about abortion. You also invoked the border crisis, which the Democrats and the media have been basically tricked into finally talking about by Greg Abbott. I give him full credit for pioneering this stunt and for Doug Ducey to then getting on board. But it took Ron DeSantis to really spring the trap because they hate him so much and just the troll power move of sending the illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard of all places. And They've been squealing like stuck pigs on the other side, just furious, fit to be tied about all of it. But that fury, that incensed sort of indignation feels Totally incoherent, Charlie, when they start talking about it. It doesn't make any sense. The hypocrisy is glaring. And the more that I think the border crisis is front and center, the better it is for Republicans because this is a terrible issue for the Democrats because of the policies that they support that are widely opposed by the American people who see the problem as a very serious crisis. And the biggest concern I've had is that we weren't talking about it. Almost at all here at Fox, Bill Maloujin. There's been some coverage of it, but writ large in the country in our national conversation, it was, I think, being suppressed on purpose. That is now out in the open and it's exploded as a big issue. By yes, this stunt, but it's been a successful one. At least that's how I view it.
6: Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right, and 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 it was a stunt, and and because it's a stunt, especially for people. Uh, you know, I've been covering Congress. Was, I covered Congress for since 2001. Uh, And and for a long time, uh, my paper, the Washington Times, was the only paper really covering, seriously covering illegal immigration. And I can tell you going back that far, Um, you know, before it was sort of a, a, even as it is kind of suppressed today in the mainstream media, we we were some of the only people ever reporting on on developments with illegal immigration. Even as it was a big issue, it was important to people that, that paid attention to it, to voters who paid attention to it, particularly in places like Florida and Texas and Arizona. And so, um, and so it's kind of interesting because, you know, I think a lot of those people who have cared about this issue for a long time, anytime a stunt comes up, and, and you're exactly right, this was a stunt, and uh, but every time somebody pulls a stunt on something like this, it, you sort of cringe a little bit because you're like, uh, you know, th- this is a very serious issue. Look, people are literally dying on the border. Uh, g- girls are being raped. Uh, on, on this dangerous trek, because Joe Biden opened the border to invite them here, there are, and then, and then of course the the uh, problems that occur to Amer for Americans when you have millions of illegals coming into the country. You know, it, it's it's a very serious issue, and so when somebody comes along and offers a stunt, you sort of cringe a little bit. <laughs> but man, as stunts go, this one was phenomenal, and it's exactly for the reasons you just, just said. It, it just exposes the lies, and 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 it expose you. You have them saying all the things that we've been saying for so long right. about how you well, know it's unsustainable. It's a crisis.
2: Government. We're not a border town. We saw that from the mayor of Washington D.C. The rank hypocrisy, the overheated rhetoric, and yes, it's a stunt. And I guess there's like the slight wince when you first hear about it, but it's making a very important point, And it is forcing these people to confront the problem that they are creating in a way that they were actively avoiding as best they could and, and were doing so with some success month after month after month. Finally, that avoidance, those evasions have come to an end.
6: Yeah. And, and you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the emergence of Donald Trump. In, in and who had his own stunt, you know, in talking about building the border wall, the border wall, obviously the border wall isn't the only It isn't the only fix. You need a whole bunch of fixes to go with it. But the, the, but the reason he kept talking about build the wall is because it smoked out all these people who had been playing games for 30 years in Washington, who didn't really want to fix the problem. Either you wanted to build a wall or you didn't want to fix the problem. And, and it was a very smart stunt and, and like Donald Trump, you know, and I and I love the guy from the moment he appeared. I, you you know, I would cringe early on when he would say things, he would wander into things, and you'd be like, oh, no, this is going to be so bad. They're going to kill him for this in in Washington. But in, in, in doing it, you end up uh, smoking out your opponents, and it actually, when things are as bad as I think they are in the country right now, it's actually a very effective and probably a very important way to expose – those problems because it's not getting you, it, these problems are not getting exposed with polite conversation. No, they're not, and
2: they're also they're, the problems are getting worse. Right? the The numbers are terrible. The stats are terrible. The reality down there is totally unsustainable. It's outrageous. It's a public safety concern. It's a national security concern. It's a humanitarian concern. It's a, a you know sovereignty concern. All of it, and just talking about it has not worked. So this has been sort of the new game plan, and now even the border czar is being forced to discuss it. Kamala Harris, the vice president, who avoids the border like the plague, like she's allergic to going there, she has been asked now a number of questions about this. In a new interview with Vice News, she was asked about the busing of migrants. She gave sort of the typical angry Democratic talking points. Here's part of the exchange. Listen here to cut 38.
4: There was a bus of migrants that was dropped off in front of your home. Also, Governor DeSantis flew migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. Can you understand the political point that DeSantis and Abbott are trying
0: to make here? They're playing games. These are political stunts with real human beings who are fleeing harm. I think it is the height of irresponsibility, much less, frankly, a dereliction of duty when you are an elected leader to play those kinds of games with human
2: life. Charlie, it takes my breath away to hear this person use the term dereliction of duty to describe someone else on the border crisis.
6: Yeah, exactly. And then to talk about how how other politicians are playing games (laughs) with these people's lives, which of course is the entire definition of Democrats' policies. When it comes to fixing the problems at the border they 're not complicated fixes. It might might be you know there are a lot of challenges in this world but but you know, Joe biden single handedly undid all of the pol- all of the policies that had stemmed the flow, and the flow is you know it 's not the only problem with immigration, but the flow is uh, certainly the most urgent. Problem with the border, and the one that has to be fixed, and one and the one that did get fixed. Until Joe Biden, out of spite, because he wanted to play games with these people, he was willing to play games with these people's lives in order to end hurt the sovereignty of this country. In order to score political points, he decided to undo all those things and recreate the problem single-handedly. Well, yeah, and there have been been
2: hundreds of deaths at the border this year. Hundreds of migrants have drowned or died or been killed. You mentioned the rampant sexual assault. This has all been incentivized by this administration. Talk about playing games with human life. That's what their policies have done. And what you just described, Charlie, is accurate. There were, and I had some problems with some of Trump's policies on immigration. I spoke out against them. I thought the family separation, as a matter of course, as like an automatic policy, didn't last long because there was such an outcry. I thought that was a huge mistake on a number of different levels. So it's not like I was there cheerleading everything Trump would do, even on this one issue. But toward the end of his administration, the back half of his term, they really did start to get a handle on the problem. Remain in Mexico, safe third-party agreements— Title 42 expulsions, they had a mix that was making a very clear signal out there. The border is not open. We are going to enforce things. You're not going to be able to just come into the country and assume you can stay. And the numbers reflected that. Then all of those succeeding policies were abandoned or basically reversed instantly by this administration. The numbers started picking up exactly when Joe Biden won the election. It has been out of control, record-shattering ever since. And yet— Kamala Harris, the vice president, her fairy tale, her version of what we're just describing is exactly the opposite of reality. Listen to cut 39. What is
0: that
4: solution? Can you understand the frustration, though, that Americans have about the situation at the border?
0: It's not a monolith. There are, very, there, there are a variety of components to this. One is the fact that under the previous administration, they decimated A system that was designed to address immigration. And so we have been spending in the last 18 months we've been in office spending a an
3: incredible amount of time and work and resources to reconstruct that system.
2: I mean, Charlie, they're talking about their record setting border crisis that is unlike anything we've ever seen down there. And her answer is, well, it's complicated, but under the previous administration, they decimated the system, and our real problem has been, we've just been trying to rebuild it for the last 18 months. That is so far removed from the truth, it is astonishing that the person in charge of this challenge and this problem and this crisis either actually believes that or feels like she can get away with saying that.
6: Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. She feels like she can get away with saying it is kind of the most amazing part of it. Uh, But, you know, as somebody who's literally covered this issue for over 20 years, it's always been clear to me that if, if Ed Kennedy, if Joe Biden, if Kamala Harris, if Democrats in Congress if Nancy Pelosi actually cared about dreamers and illegals in this country, there is one solution. There's one way to help those people and that is to secure the border. If you stop the flow, those people suddenly have the strongest hand possible in order to deal with people who are in this country illegally. That, you know, and, and obviously it's you know, amnesty is one of those words that that it's kind of lost a lot of its meaning over the past 5 or so years, yep. but 10 years ago it was a pretty hot word. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's not the easiest issue on earth. But Ted Kennedy – you know, the Democrats would have held all the power in terms of dealing with those people if there wasn't the continued flow at the border. Right. And so everything they have done has actually done more to imperil the, the livelihoods and the lives and the, the, the happiness of these people that they claim to be wanting to, to represent um, than if they just if they just solved the, uh, solved the problem you know, or begrudgingly solve the problem. I,
2: I think that that is such an important point that needs to be underscored, and I think I personally am an example of this because I have been, and I've admitted to this, kind of a squish on immigration for a long time, and I'm willing to say, well, let's do a DREAM Act, let's find a way for people who have been here law-abiding for X number of years to maybe get a path to legal status, maybe not citizenship but legal status. That's sort of where I have been. And with the crisis being as bad as it is, I've become increasingly radicalized, and anything that I was willing to entertain on the amnesty front or whatever you want to call it, it's gone right now. It's like everything stops until the problem stops in a sustainable way. Nothing else is interesting to me or something that I'm willing to support, nothing, until this problem gets resolved, and it's because it's so out of control And the spiraling continues. So I think your point is extremely well taken. They are undermining any chance to proceed with some of these solutions, real or imagined, that they have in their mind. Because folks who might be willing to cross the aisle or compromise, like myself, at least in the realm of public opinion, I am an absolute dead set hard no right now until the status quo changes radically. And it must start with border control and enforcement, something that they have apparently no real interest in. Charlie, I'm glad that you made that point. We are now out of time, so I've got to leave it there. Charlie Heard of The Washington Times, a Fox News contributor. Always enjoy it. Have a great weekend. You too, Guy. We will step aside. We'll come right back. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show.
1: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
2: Back on the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Chasing history, he almost did it.
1: Aaron Judge, center field, way back, Bob Hernandez is there.
2: He came so close, Aaron Judge, one swing of the bat. It would have been a walk-off home run in the ninth to beat the Red Sox and to tie Roger Maris for what many baseball fans consider to be the real, untainted, non-steroid home run record. But it was caught at the track, and the air just came out of the stadium. It looked gone off the bat. I thought it was gone. The broadcast thought it was gone. And then it just kind of died out there in center field. So we'll wait another day. But the Yankees walked off anyway in the next inning. Bouncing ball left side. That is past Devers. Here comes Gonzalez. The throw from Fan, and the Yankees walk it off. Hugh Sinatra, you love to hear it. That was the call on Fox on the broadcast last night. That makes me happy. And the happy hour continues next.
1: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
2: It's the Friday happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. And earlier on today's program, We caught up with Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia, a Republican who is in a reelection fight right now in that critical state. Here's part of my conversation back and forth with Republican Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. I'm wondering how you're seeing it on the ground and if you feel that movement in your direction, what you attribute it to.
0: Well, Guy, thanks for having me on. I I feel great. You know, we have a lot of momentum, seeing a lot of energy in the ground. I would tell your listeners not to believe any of these polls. We've got to keep running like we're 10 points down. I believe the race will be a lot closer than, you know, some of these polls are showing right now. Um, But that being said, you know, we're doing great. Um, You know, obviously, Stacey Abrams has made a lot of mistakes and said a lot of things that she actually believes finally, and people are realizing she's not the candidate that they thought she was in 2018, whether it's defunding the police, wanting to raise taxes. Obviously, we've talked before about her criticizing me when we reopened the economy and kept it open and pushed to get her kids back in the classroom and a lot of other things, pressuring Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game. Uh, so we've got to keep working hard. we got to get the vote out. That's the biggest thing. You cannot underestimate the financial resources that she has and what they're doing on the ground to turn the vote out. And you're just not going to see that in any polls. So we've got to keep working hard and keep working smart and keep raising money. And that's what we're doing.
2: Yeah, she smeared the vote voting reforms as Jim Crow 2.0 was really the ringleader of all those lies leading to boycotts that hurt your state, hurt businesses and workers in your state. We've talked about that. She called the state the worst place in the country to live, which is an interesting thing to say about the state you're running in, or the state where I guess she feels like she's the incumbent because she never conceded the race that she lost last time. She also is getting some attention this week. She is desperate to make this race a lot about abortion. Uh, The problem is she said something unscientific about fetal heartbeats in a weird conspiracy theory. She seems actually to, to like those types of conspiracy theories on all sorts of political issues. But what she doesn't want to talk about, if she's going to bring up babies in the womb, their development, heartbeats, which she called a manufactured sound or whatever uh, her theory is, she doesn't want to talk about her own position on that issue, Governor, which is – way out of step with Georgia, way out of step with most voters, which is no limitations or restrictions of any sort on abortion, even widely supported common sense ones, and just have it be unfettered, paid by tax dollars, on demand, elective for any reason through nine months. That's her stance. And I'm not sure she wants to talk about that.
0: Well, that's true. And, you know, what she said about the, you know, fetal heartbeat and when it starts was just really shows how out to of touch with reality that she is, but guys, she's been out of touch with reality on a lot of other things besides just flip flopping on what her position actually is uh, on the light on the life movement when you should have an abortion or be le- legally allowed to have an abortion or not. Uh, she's been all over the place. You know, one things Georgians know about me is I've been consistent. Uh, I campaigned on 2018 on telling people what I'd do, and I've done that since I got in office, and they know that. Even if they may disagree with something, they know that I've stood up and done what I said I would do, and I did that when it comes to our economy and a lot of other things. And the point is is that Abrams is out of touch, and so is President Biden. You know, you got a president that promised he wouldn't raise taxes on hard-working Americans, and he's now done that. She embraces those policies. She campaigned and helped him get elected and got credit for it and auditioned to be his vice presidential candidate. So she embraces the policies that brought us 40 year high inflation, the disaster that we're seeing at the border and a lot of other things. And what my goal has been and what my focus continues to be is helping Georgians fight through all this inflation. We returned a billion dollars of taxpayer money last year. We're going to do that again. If I'm reelected November the 8th, we've suspended our gas tax since March. So Fuel here is 30 cents a gallon lower every single day, helping Georgia's fight through disastrous energy policy out of Washington and the Biden administration. And we're also going to do property tax relief this year because we've just seen enormous increases in people's property tax assessment.
2: My full interview with Brian Kemp, Georgia's 83rd governor, available online at GuyBensonShow.com. Also part of our free podcast, the whole show, every day, on demand for free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. That includes bonus Benson on the weekend. So it's a a seven-day-a-week opportunity, no charge to you. When we come back, the home stretch heading into the weekend, I'm going to dinner at a restaurant tonight. There are a few changing norms and mores at restaurants. How do we feel about them? We'll sift through some of that as soon as we come back.
1: For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com.
2: Home stretch, Friday edition, almost there, together here. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, podcasts always free, including on the weekends, in bonus Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcasts. You have options. Also, maybe tune in Saturday and Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, Fox News Channel. I'll be co-hosting the big show. You can also set your DVR. Otherwise, that's an opportunity for you over the weekend. I'm here in New York doing some TV hosting, plus bleeding into next week. We'll tell you about that on Monday's show when we get there. In the meantime, I am headed out to dinner tonight here in the city with some friends, and there are a few stories about restaurant etiquette that have been in the news lately. There is a piece in the New York Times magazine about how, for the longest time, I think city dining Kind of starts later, and the window of dinner time is on the later side. But that apparently is changing. The Times reporting that 6 p.m. might be the new 8 p.m. for dinner in New York, where restaurants are getting busier and filling up and sort of having that buzz earlier on in the evening than they have in the recent past, really going back years. 6 p.m. to me always felt like early. For dinner. I know a lot of people would define six as dinner time. I'm a much more sort of eat later person. Seven o'clock typically is when dinner time starts in my mind. Maybe like six thirty. But apparently that trend is starting to reverse here in the city. And some of the go to bed early, dine early people that I know are celebrating this, including producer Christine, who Likes to catch the early bird special. She likes her senior specials around four thirty p.m. But six o'clock is probably at least a start in your mind.
4: Six o'clock's a little late.
2: Actually. No, it's, get out of here.
4: No, I'm not kidding. If Bobby and I are going out, like say on a Saturday, and my mom has Megan, we'll probably be there by five five thirty.
2: Five o'clock for dinner? So good. It's so much fun. By choice? It's not like it's a hot restaurant and you can only get the 5 p.m. reservation. You want to be there at 5 p.m.
4: Yes. But I have to say um, we ate at Craig's in L.A. at 5 p.m. That was because I could only get the 5 p.m. reservation. And it was booming, by the way. But, yeah, Bobby and I would totally rather go early to dinner because then you, you get your cocktail on, you get your food on, you get home. Have some nightcaps, watch a movie, you know, whatever, and then go to bed at a normal time.
2: Yeah. My normal time to fall asleep usually is after midnight, usually between 12 and 1. No. Yeah. Every day. Most days. I'm like on my, th- what is it called? The REM cycle? Yeah, I am
4: way into that. You're bite. deep into
2: sleep. Yeah. I'm, I'm generally asleep after midnight. If I'm in bed in the 10 p.m. hour, it's because either I have a wake-up extremely early the next day or I'm under the weather.
4: So you're definitely going to take night duty when you have kids because I'm just letting you know usually when you have a baby, you're up by like 5 a.m.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll happily do night duty. That's sort of, I guess, what I'm built for. And as a result, I like dinner later. In fact, our reservation tonight 9 p.m. Oh, my
4: goodness. Seriously, that would give me anxiety.
2: You're going to sit down at 9 p.m. That's a little late for me, admittedly. There's an event beforehand, which is why. But if I have a dinner that I'm really looking forward to, to me, it's the centerpiece of the evening. It's not like something to get out of the way to then go do something else. A good dinner is what I want sort of the evening to revolve around. So my favorite dinner time would be like 7.30, 7.45. Sit down. I can take. You can take the 6 p.m. slot, Christine, as long as you're out of there by the time I arrive. So my <laughs> so my table's free.
4: Well, you know, I mean, I read the article and you know why this is happening especially uh, around here was during the pandemic when people were working at home by 5 p.m. they needed a break. They wanted to end their day, so then they started having dinner.
2: And they got used to it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, "Oh, actually exactly. I kind of like this now." Here's another one. This is from the Washingtonian. A lot of restaurants are now just adding the gratuity or the service charge to a bill automatically. And then the debate is, are you supposed to then tip on top of that? I understand for a large party, like eight or more, they'll add it for their own reasons. I don't really object to that. But just as a standard operating procedure, I don't like that at all. And if you ever go to Europe, for example, where tipping is – Less expected at lower levels or not at all. They often build in a service price. And as a result, generally, I would say service suffers. The service here is just better because there are incentives to have the clients, the diners, the customers be happy and tip you as opposed to, oh, I've already got this. So I'll just kind of, you know, loaf and do my job because there's no reason to go above and beyond and give superlative service. So I don't like that in general. And then this whole debate, if they add 18% already, are you supposed to tip even more? I don't know. I, I'm generally a pretty generous tipper. I usually, as a standard, do 20%, sometimes higher if it's really good. If they're already forcing 18% down my throat with no choice, that like kind of bothers me more and I might not tip up unless it's really good service.
4: But the only thing I have to say is because I think you and Adam do the same thing. We have like particular restaurants that we go to and they know us. So like if one of those restaurants added the 18 percent, I think we would probably tip above that because yeah, if you're a regular,
2: yeah, if you're a regular, I get that would make sense. And like our regular place, you know, you've been there down by our house. We go there so often, we know the chef, she'll occasionally, especially if she sees that we're with someone else, like other people in our party, she'll send stuff to the table on the house. Like, here's a new dessert that we're trying. Here's a new appetizer. That is such a value add that I am always going to tip well at that restaurant because it's like, it's our neighborhood spot. They treat us great. We want it to all be reciprocal. I'm just saying, if I walk into some random restaurant and I see on the bill 18% already baked into the cake and the service was unremarkable, I don't think I'm adding to that.
4: Well, I have a question for you. Okay. You are a person in the public. You're pretty well known. Does that factor into your tipping ever? Do you ever think, ooh, I don't want someone, you know, who knows? There's probably a website of, you know, who tips and who
2: doesn't. Badtippers.com. Um, the one thing that I have done because of this is something that Adam has actually encouraged me to do, which is sometimes there'll be multiple bills if you're splitting it, and then you'll add the entire tip on one of the checks and then $0 on the other check because of just how the math works out. Or you'll pay the tip with cash, and so you're not filling out a number on the tip line. And he said, what if someone's like took a photo of that or whatever, and it looks like you've given $0 in tip, so I will write on the line, tip in cash, ...or tip on other check. I will write it down. Adam thought it was important for me to do. I could see how someone might try to like... ...turn that against some stingy right-wing... ...Fox News conservative or whatever. So I have made it something of a habit of doing that... ...to make it clear that you can't invent some story about me. Because typically I'm going to give a good tip. And if you blow my socks off... ...and you were just helpful and good... ...and a pleasure to be served by or whatever... I'll go up to 25 very occasionally 30% if someone has really gone above and beyond. I think in societies where there is not a premium put on service and where there aren't incentives in place, you don't really get that as often. So I also do the thing when I'm overseas. I will Google at the table on my phone, like, what are the tipping practices in fill in the blank. Because I think a lot of the time they're like, oh, good, here's some Americans. We're about to get a silly tip that we would never get otherwise. I like to be at least hitting the average in that place. And then occasionally, if they're really good, I'll give a bigger tip. And if they want to feel like Americans are more generous, great. I just don't want them to think that we're idiots getting taken advantage of.
4: No, I totally agree. And I have to say two things. One, I've noticed service has gone downhill since the pandemic.
2: For the most part, I agree.
4: What is happening? Like, why would it go downhill? Is it just because there's lack of servers in each restaurant? It just it, To me, it seems like they just don't care. Like, you know, you can have your salad and 45 minutes later they're bringing your dinner and they do not care that you're upset about that.
2: And if you have particularly bad service, the way that you can reflect that is with a lower tip. Now, I will say it takes very bad service to get me to come down even to 15%, if you get a 10% tip from me in the United States, you have done a particularly bad job. That's just sort of my rule of thumb. Also, I was at dinner once with a whole group of people, and there were some ladies who were paying the bill, and they had had a few drinks, and they were giggling, and they were conferring, and they were writing it down, and... They were just not really paying attention and not really, I guess, aware of the math or something. So we leave, and the hostess or the manager of the restaurant literally chased us out of the restaurant to ask if there was something wrong with the service, because after all of that, they had given something like less than 10% of a tip, just absent mindedly, like they were, I don't know what they were focusing on, and it was so embarrassing, which is why I often like to almost double check the work if it's people that I know especially if they've been drinking. There was another guy who had the opposite issue he'd been drinking and was feeling great and I don't know carried the wrong number or something and gave a completely ludicrous tip and I did catch that one. It's like a $600 tip. He meant 60. Oh. $600. I was like, "Um, is that the tip that you're trying to give here?" And he was like, "What? Oh, whoa!" And he had absolutely done it. So I feel like I'm not a math person, but with certain folks out there, and if you're listening right now, you know who I'm talking about. I might, in fact, be talking about you right now. You need some, I don't know, young adult supervision to make sure that you're not blowing it.
4: So I take it we could wrap this up. You and I are going away next week, and we probably will be dining together.
2: Not next week. Right, the week after next.
4: We leave a week from Sunday.
2: A week from this coming Sunday. Yeah, yep. so the week after next. We've got oh, okay. a whole week in between. Right. Don't scare me like it's so soon that we're going to be spending a week together. I have a little <laughs> bit of time to prepare. But will you be
4: advising or, you know, monitoring if I'm giving yes. the tip?
2: We'll be monitoring very closely.
4: And will we be eating at 6, 6.30, 7, or 5?
2: Very interesting question. And normally I would say at my preferred time of because, course. you know— I'm the talent. Right, of course. Except uh-huh. I'm the talent. <laughs> but, but, but where are we going? To the West Coast, uh-huh. Where it's three hours earlier. And so in my brain, by six o'clock, especially if I haven't really adjusted, it's already nine o'clock. I get hungrier earlier out there. So you might get your wish after all, cookie. But I'll be double checking your math on the tip. And now we gotta go. It is the weekend. Have a great time tip your waitresses reasonably. We'll be back here on Monday for the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for
6: listening.